I want you to try to imagine emptiness. Total emptiness. No sky, no land, no heat, no light, no sound, no life. Total emptiness. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that because the world we live in today is anything but that. The world we live in is a world made up of beautiful places. The world we live in is a world made up of beautiful sunrises and sunsets. The world we live in, there are wonderful sounds and there are animals everywhere. And most of all, the world we live in, there are human beings that populate seven, seven billion now. Uh, that populate this world. And so the question is, as we look at the world we live in, the obvious question that, that people have asked for, for centuries is, where did all of this come from? How did all of this get here? And the truth of the matter is, we really wouldn't know the answer to that question without the book of Genesis. And so... If you're going to do a study of the Bible, what better place to start than in the beginning in Genesis? In the beginning with God. Now, if you haven't gotten one of these yet, I encourage you to get one before you leave. And wherever you pick up your bulletin, there should be some of these. And this is kind of our plan for the year of what we're studying. Uh, during the month of February, we're reading through two chapters a day, the book of Genesis. And then we're studying Genesis on Sunday nights. Um, and then next week we'll look at the book of Mark. And by the way, just so you'll know, these books, were, 10 books we'll be reading this year, are basically in chronological order. Now, what I mean by that is the Old Testament books are in chronological order, and then the New Testament books are in chronological order. So we're looking at Genesis, and then several months later we're looking at Psalms, and several months later we're looking at at Isaiah. So it, they fall in chronological order that way. Same with the New Testament books uh, that we're going to, seven New Testament books, and I've listed them pretty much in chronological order. That's why we're starting next month with the book of Mark. Also, three of the books that we're going to be studying uh, will correspond to what, with what you're studying in BSF. That was intentional on our part. Uh, just to say, okay, let's try to have some overlap. Let's try to support what we're doing on Sunday mornings as well. So three of the books will overlap with what we're doing in uh, BSF. So <clears throat> I want to start with the book of Genesis. I did not give you an outline. That was somewhat intentional. I want you to focus on listening and comprehending. But if you have a notebook, if you have a journal... Write down things that really speak to you. Don't try to worry about writing down everything that we talk about. I don't mind if you come up after and say, hey, I didn't get all of this or whatever. But I want you to focus on hearing. I want you to focus on understanding. I want you to focus on comprehending the big story and be less focused on what was that blank? I didn't get that last fill in the blank. Okay? That makes sense? So let's just dive in. I'll talk to you not tonight about, of course, the book of Genesis. Now, Hang on a minute, I can't get water out of this thing. Okay, I'll work on it, I'll get better at it. Yeah, I'm probably going to knock it over right now. <clears throat> the Hebrew name, Genesis. Let me tell you where we get the name Genesis. It comes from the first word in the Hebrew Bible. The very first word in the Hebrew Bible is Beresheth. 
Bereshith. That Hebrew word, again, it's the very first word of the Bible. That Hebrew word, Bereshith, means in the beginning. In the beginning. That's literally how it's translated. Uh, just open your Bibles there, your, your English Bibles, of course. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how the book opens. The first, ver- first verse of the Bible introduces to us the key theme of the entire Bible. Bereshith, the Hebrew word Bereshith means in the beginning, or Genesis literally means in the beginning. The book of beginnings is a better way to say it. Genesis is the book of beginnings. So the first verse of the Bible introduces us to the key person in all of Scripture. The key person in all of Scripture is God. God, we, are, we see in, in chapter 1, verse 1, we see three things about God. First of all, we see that God is self-existent. What do I mean by self-existent? Huh? He wasn't created. He was always there, wasn't He? You see, everybody, including you and me, everybody in all of history, everybody that you read about in the Bible, every one of those people depends on something or someone in order to exist. That's not true of God. Because in the beginning... God was there. He's self-existent. Not only is He self-existent, He is self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. In the beginning, God created. He's self-sufficient. He's able to do anything He wants to do. Able to do anything He desires to do. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He doesn't need anything to do what He did. In other words, the way He created the heavens and the earth, He spoke and it all happened. That's not true for anybody else. You can't do that. I challenge you just to speak and try to make something happen. In fact, it would be good for us to say, okay... um, I don't know, let's, let's, let's just all try to speak and make a table. Not going to happen, is it? Because you see, we are not self-sufficient. Now, if you give us the materials and the tools, then maybe we can make something. But we all need something else in order to do those kind of things. Not God. God is self-existent. He's always been there in the beginning. When there was a beginning of everything that you see, God was already there. He's self-existent. He's also self-sufficient because in the beginning, God created out of nothing. The, the Hebrew word for the, or the, I think it's Latin word actually, the, the, the word for that is ex nihilo. Ex nihilo. E-X, I think I'm spelling this right, ex nihilo. Ex nihilo means that he created out of nothing. You and I can't do that. We have to have something in order to make something. But God created ex nihilo. He created something out of nothing. He's self-sufficient. And then the third one is this. He's eternal. 
He's eternal. In the beginning, God was there. And when you come to the end of the Bible, the end of time, God is still reigning. He is still sovereignly ruling. He is eternal. In the beginning. You see, there was never a time that where God started being God. There was never a time where God became God. There was never a time when, for, for you, you were born. I was born. There was never a time where that could be said of God. He is eternal. John Phillips, the scholar John Phillips said it this way. He said, the first chapter of Genesis is one of the most God-centered chapters in the Bible. God is mentioned by name 32 times in 31 verses. The most God-centered, God-saturated chapter in the Bible. God is mentioned 32 times in 31 verses. He said, add to that the personal pronouns, and he's mentioned no less than 43 times in one chapter. And this is John Phillips' conclusion. Thus, on the very first page of Scripture, the Holy Spirit brings us into the presence of God and keeps us there. No wonder Satan hates Genesis so badly. No wonder he hates the creation story so badly. Because the whole creation story is saturated and explained by God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the title of the book reveals the theme of the book. If you want to write that down. The title of the book, Genesis, the book of beginnings, is a book about beginnings. It's the book of origins, you might say. Let me erase this. Genesis is the book of origins. First of all, uh, it's the, the origin of the world. It tells us about the, the beginning of the world. That's chapter 1. Then it also tells us the origin of mankind. That's chapter 2. So God created the world and then, then he filled the world with mankind. And one of the, the neat things we're going to be talking about next week is we're going to be focusing on the first 11 chapters of Genesis and we'll really get into the creation story. Very, very interesting when you start digging into the creation story. Alright, so watch how this progresses. God created the world, the origin or the beginning of the world. That's what we learn in Genesis 1. We learn about the beginning of mankind in chapter 2. Then we learn about the beginning of sin in chapter 3. Then the next one is this, the beginning or the origin of nations. The beginning or origin of nations. And that's Genesis chapters 4 through 11. Where did this whole concept of nations come from around the world? We're not just one people. We're, we're a world of nations. Where did this con come from? Genesis tells us. Genesis tells us where the whole concept of nations began. The origin of nations. And then finally, and you could say in some ways most importantly... Genesis tells us about the origin of God's covenant people. God's covenant people. And that would be Genesis chapter 12 through 50. 
chapter 12 through 50. Now, let's just pause there for a moment. See if this makes a light bulb go off. When God explained the origin of the world, He did it in one chapter. When God explained the origin of mankind, He did it with one chapter. When God explained the origin of sin, He did it with one chapter. When God explained the origin of nations, chapters 4 through 11. And then, when God explained the origin of His covenant people, chapters 12 through 50. Are we, getting, are we starting to understand that maybe God's covenant people is an important part of this story? God's covenant people is an important part of the whole story of the Bible. I mean, in my mind, if I'm writing the Bible, I'm thinking, man, I could do 12 chapters easy on creation, right? I mean, if you're God and you're trying to explain creation, you could do 12 chapters, 50 chapters on creation. But God did one chapter on creation. And he did, how many chapters of 12 through 50? Somebody, I figured, how many is that? 38? 38 chapters on God's covenant people. So just file that away as you're reading through the book of Genesis. File that away. God spent 38 chapters talking about His covenant people. Now, the next section I want to talk about is the structure of Genesis. I've introduced the book to you briefly. I want to talk now, if you're taking notes, about the structure of Genesis. Remember, remember number five, God's covenant people. Let me show you something about the structure of Genesis. Scholars have traditionally divided Genesis thematically. Basically into two main parts. They said... Traditionally, scholars have said, okay, there's two main themes in Genesis. The first main theme is what they call primeval history. I'll explain what that is in a moment. Primeval history. It, cha- it covers chapters 1 through 11. Primeval history, chapters 1 through 11. Then they say... The second part, or the second major theme in the book of Genesis is patriarchal history. I'll explain that one as well. But again, take note, patriarchal history covers chapters 12 through 50. Now what's the difference? Here it is. First of all, what is primeval history? Primeval history is the initial period in the history of the world. The initial period in the history of the world. It is sometimes referred to as prehistory. You want to write that down. Sometimes primeval history, if you're reading certain books, will refer to prehistory. And what they're really talking about is this. It's the story of the first years of the world's existence. So primeval history, chapters 1 through 11, is the story of the world's first years of existence. Does that make sense? 
Throw your head one way or the other. I want to make sure I'm getting it. All right. Now, patriarchal history is the history not of the world. Patriarchal history is the history of one family. The patriarchs. Patriarchs. One family. These were the patriarchs. And what I mean by patriarchs, the word patriarchs means fathers. So the patriarchs are the, are the ones who are the fathers of the nation of Israel. Alright? There are three of them. Some would say four. Uh, I say there are three. There are three of them. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let me give you some scripture. Abraham, chapters 11 through 25. The story of Abraham is chapters 11 through 25. Isaac is chapter 25 to 20, or 37. Chapters 25 to 37. And Jacob is chapters 37 to 50. So, when you look at the book of Genesis as a whole, you can divide it up into two themes. The history of the world, the beginning of the history of the world primeval history, and then the history of one family. Again, let's think about the number of pages, the number of chapters given to each of these themes. The history of the world, the beginning of the world, it's 11 chapters. The history of one family, chapters 12 through 50. There must be something important about this family. There must be something important about this family as it relates to the entire Bible. Let me show you something. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. Well, let's go to verse 14. Uh, this is the story of Moses at the burning bush. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your what? Fathers. You could translate, look up here. You could translate the God of your patriarchs. The God of your fathers. And then they're listed. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And it's interesting, you see that same concept, not just in, throughout the Old Testament. You see it all throughout the Old Testament. Again and again, God talking to that I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And so what was happening in these, in these chapters, 12 through 50, what was happening there was so important that throughout the, the Old Testament, God is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of the patriarchs. But it's not just in the Old Testament. Look in uh, Matthew chapter 22. This, this is good. This, I, I love this. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. Uh, let's start verse 29. 
Jesus replied, you're in error. He's talking to the Pharisees here. People, or the Sadducees, rather. Uh, he's talking to the Sadducees, and, and it says in verse 29, Jesus replied, referring back to the Sadducees, that he said, you're in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, watch this. Have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Even Jesus referred to the patriarchs. Now watch this. This is kind of a side note, but let me take this side for a moment. Jesus did not say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does he say in that text? I am. God doesn't view these patriarchs as dead. God views these patriarchs as living. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, because of the resurrection, all believers have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Even the patriarchs. So, this section of Genesis is very, very important. Jesus even talks about it in his ministry. So, who are the patriarchs? I'll summarize it in one sentence. Let me summarize who the patriarchs are. First, uh, here it is. The patriarchs are the line of men God used to establish the nation of Israel. The patriarchs are the line of men that God used to establish the nation of Israel. So that's a little bit about the structure of Genesis. Basically divided into two themes. Primeval history, the history of the world, and the history of the patriarchs. Now, thirdly, and this is I think the, the last section... Um, that I want to talk about. I want to give you some specific advice for reading Genesis. You're re hopefully you're reading two chapters a day with me through the book. I want to give you some things to look for as you're reading through the book. Number one, as you read the first book in the Bible, be aware of how the narrative unfolds according to family stories. Let me say that again. As you read through the first book of the Bible, be aware of how the, the narrative or the story unfolds according to family stories. You see, the book of Genesis is really a book about family stories. These family stories are often introduced with a phrase that occurs ten times in the book of Genesis. And the phrase is this, this is the account of. You'll see that phrase ten times in Genesis, this is the account of. Let me show you one. I just had the question tonight, and, and I thought it was a very good question, so I'm just going to uh, show you what, what he asked me. He said, Pastor, I'm reading with you. I said, I was reading chapter 5 and chapter 6, and, and I understand that the creation story, you know, in chapter 2, God created Adam and Eve in chapter 2, but when I come to chapter 5, he tells the creation story again in shorter form, but he mentions Adam being created again. Why is that? Well, look at chapter 5, verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's line. It's the first time we see that, that phrase. This, this idea of, this is the account of. He says, this is the written account of Adam's line. You know what the writer of Genesis, Moses was the writer of Genesis, by the way. You know what, the, what Moses was saying here? Moses was saying, this is the beginning of Adam's story. 
So, of course, he has to go back again to the very beginning, to how he was created and how Eve was created. And then he tells the story of Adam to Noah in chapter 5. So when you think of Genesis, not only think of it in terms of primeval history and patriarchal history, but think of it primarily in terms of family stories. All right? Uh, so you have, let, let me give you the main family stories, if you want to write these down. Uh, let me give you the main family stories. Of course, the, the, you begin with the story of Adam and Eve. The first family is mentioned here. Uh, they eventually have children, Cain and Abel. And then you go from that family to another family, the family of Noah. God uses that family story to, to explain how sin had spread and how he judges sin. But he does it through the family story of Noah. After Noah, there's the family story of Abraham. And of course, with the family story of Abraham, you're talking about Lot and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac and sacrificing Isaac, and that's chapters 11 to 25. Most chapters in the book of Genesis uh, are allotted to that family story, the story of Abraham. He is central to the book of Genesis and central to the entire Bible. But really, it really is his family story. Uh, And then Isaac is the next family story. Go with me to Genesis chapter 25. I want to show you what I'm talking about this phrase, the account of, and how it really kind of tells the family story. Here's kind of an abbreviated section. Uh, Genesis 25, verse 19. <clears throat> Genesis 25, verse 19. This is the account of. There's that phrase you see. You'll see it throughout ten times throughout the book of Genesis. This is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, an Aramean from Padam Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. Remember that. Remember that. We're going to come back to this idea. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, And his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Watch this, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Remember that as well. And then it goes on with the whole family story. We don't have time to read the whole thing. But but this is the family story of Isaac. Uh, then the next family story is the story of Jacob. Of course, you know Jacob is the man who wrestles with God. Jacob also, the reason his family story is significant is because Jacob had 12 sons. And from those 12 sons come the 12 tribes of Israel. But God explains that to us within, within the context of a family story, the story of Jacob. And then you have the story, the book closes with the story of Moses, I'm sorry, of Joseph. Jacob's most prominent son, Joseph. In fact, the, chapters 37 to 50 deal with Joseph. The only family story that gets more press than that is Abraham by one chapter. So Joseph is very prominent in this story. Now some would call Joseph a patriarch. I don't. 
And the reason I don't call Jacob a, I mean, Joseph a patriarch is because the, God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus referred to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so I don't refer to Joseph as a patriarch, but Joseph was indeed a, a very important part of the story of Genesis and eventually the story of God's people. So, number one, as you read the book of Genesis, remember it's a story of families. Uh, and beginning in chapter 12, look up here. Beginning in chapter 12, it's the story of how God really worked through one family for his redemptive purpose. You see, all of those people, Abraham to Joseph, all of those people are related. It's one family that he's working through. All right. Number two, suggestions on how to read Genesis. Here's the second suggestion. Watch for the major plot that helps shape the larger family story, the story of God's people. Watch for the major plot that really helps shape the story of God's people. Here's the major plot in the book of Genesis. Let me tell you what it is. The major plot in the book of Genesis is God's intervening in history to deal with human sinfulness by choosing a man, Abraham, and his family through whom he would bring redemption to the world. Let's say that again. The major plot is God's intervening in history to deal with human sinfulness by choosing a man, Abraham, and his family through whom to bring redemption. Remember now, even though the families of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are major players in this story, God is the ultimate protagonist, or God is the ultimate main character uh, in the story. You see, above all else, Genesis, look up here, above all else, Genesis is his story. It's God's story. In fact, some people have said, you know what history is? History I can't even spell. History is his story. That's what Genesis is. So as you're reading Genesis, keep looking for the way that the major plot unfolds and how God uses these primary players like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to accomplish his story. His uh, agenda. Because God is ultimate, the ultimate character in the story. And then lastly, number three. Watch, as you're reading Genesis, number three, watch for three crucial subplots in the larger story of the Old Testament. And I'll tell you what they are. Watch for three subplots that are crucial to the larger story of the Old Testament. Here's the three subplots I want you to look for as you're reading through Genesis. Number one, the occurrence of two covenants between God and His people. As you're looking through, reading through Genesis, one of the subplots is two covenants that God makes between Himself and His people. The first is a covenant that He made with mankind through Noah. The theological term is the Noahic covenant. It's the plot, or, or the, I'm sorry, the, uh, 
the covenant that he made with Noah and his sons and ultimately with all of us, promising never again to cut off life from the earth. Genesis 9, verse 8 through 17. Genesis 9, verse 8 through 17. I guess you'll be reading that this week. So keep in mind that this is one of the major subplots, this covenant that God makes with the world through Noah. Then there's a second covenant, even more significant. The second covenant is the covenant that God made with Abraham. Promising two things. Make sure you write these down. In this covenant, God promised two things that he made with Abraham. First of all, he promised the seed through whom he would bless the world. He promised the seed who would become a great nation that would bless the nations, if you want to say it that way. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 through 3 explains that. That's the first time you see it. It's it's given in other places in the Old Testament. But this whole concept, don't miss this. God makes a covenant with Abraham and, and he promises a seed. He promises that through your seed, I will make a nation that will bless the world. I will make a nation that will bless the nations. He was talking about Israel. Through your seed, Abraham, I'm going to develop a nation as numerous as the stars in the heaven and the sand on the seashore that will bless the world. And then the second thing that he promised Abraham in this covenant, not only a seed, but he also promised him the gift of the land. The gift of land. Chapter 12, verse 4 through 7. I'll tell you what, uh, let's, let's just take the time to read it real quick. It's such an important part of Scripture. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. You're not just going to be a great family. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And watch this. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed... Through you. Why? Because, what? fast forward to the New Testament. Guess who comes from the line of Abraham? Guess who, who is the ultimate gift through Abraham? Jesus. So all the, na- all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as God had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot and all the possessions that they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the, they set out for what? The land of Canaan and they arrived there. And and Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree Morah at Shechem. And at that time the Canaanites were in the land and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, watch this, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And throughout the the Old Testament, you see this whole concept of conquering the land. And it's no accident that it's called the promised land. Because that's what God promised Abram in chapter 12, verse 4 through 7. So as you're reading, uh, look for the occurrence of the first covenants between God and his people. I'm going to have to go, i got four minutes, so I'm going to have to go quick. By the way, this second covenant is repeated to Isaac 
in chapter 26, verse 3 through 5. And this same covenant about the seed and the land is also repeated to Jacob in 28, verse 13 through 15. So all the patriarchs had this same promise made to them. Individually, God Almighty said, I want you to know I have promised to Abraham a seed and a a land. And then he came to Isaac and said, I make the same promise to you. I'm giving to you and your people a seed and a land. And he did the same thing to Jacob. I'm promising to you through your family the seed and the land. That's why the patriarchs are so important. Why we have chapters 12 through 50. Number two. The second subplot is this, and this is so good. I I could preach a sermon or a series on this second subplot, but I got three minutes. Here we go. God's choice of the younger or weaker or the most unlikely to bear the righteous seed. As you're reading through Genesis, look at how God chose the younger, the weaker, or the unlikely to bear this seed that He promised. God regularly bypassed the firstborn son to carry out his purpose. That went against culture. The cultural norm was the firstborn son was the one who got the promise. The firstborn son was the one who got the blessing. And God regularly uh, bypassed that. It was not Cain, but it was, uh, but it was uh, Seth. It was not Ishmael, but it was Isaac. It was not Esau, but it was Jacob. It's not Reuben, but it was Judah. God bypassed the oldest, the firstborn, And you'll see that again and again and again. And I'll tell you why in a second. Number two, also the godly seed is frequently born to an otherwise barren woman. Again, it goes back to this God's choice of the younger, the weaker, or the most unlikely to bear the righteous seed. And so what we find out is that Sarah, who was barren, had a child. Rebecca, who was barren, had a child. Rachel, who was barren, had a child. And guess what? That same theme carries through the into the New Testament. Remember Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1? Elizabeth, old in age, barren. She got pregnant. Had John the Baptist. Throughout the book of Genesis, as you're reading, watch how again and again and again, you'll see that God's choice of the younger, the weaker, and the unlikely would bear the seed that He had promised. Which brings me to this point. The main characters in the story are not chosen because of their goodness. When you read through the book of Genesis, you're going to be disturbed a little bit. At some of these guys are characters. Abraham was a liar. He told his wife, when we get down here in Egypt, you're a good-looking woman. You tell them you're my sister. Because I don't want my head cut off, because he'll kill me to get to you. So you want you to lie. Oh, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, that's not what we do in Baptist churches. I wish we had time to deal with that. But instead of, instead of painting them as perfect people, throughout Genesis we see their flaws. We see, we see a, a dysfunctional family in Jacob. But we also see this. We see God faithfully carrying out His story. You see, listen to this. Man, this is good. They are not the godly seed because of their actions. They are the godly seed because they chose to trust and obey God. They chose to believe what God said and obey Him. By the way, you're never going to be godly seed either by your actions. We're all sinners. The only way we can be godly seed is by trusting and obeying what God said about Jesus. Third and final, as you're reading the book, 
I want you to look for the anticipation of the next chapter in the story. The next chapter in the story is the slavery in Egypt. The, it begins with Abraham. They go down to, to slavery in Egypt. And the book ends with Joseph. And they're in Egypt in slavery. That is a concept that is very, very important for you to understand. Slavery. And then it sets the stage for the next book in the Bible. The book of Exodus. It is